Another side effect of getting the global production engine back running, an energy crunch. Add that the global economy is moving away from fossil fuels and inflation, we might have a problem. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we share insights from the multi-asset solutions team at New York Life Investments, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of October 11th, 2021, and today we're going to talk about energy, and specifically the kind that heats our houses and fuels global production, not the kind that Robert uses to mountain bike for 60 miles at a time. (laughs) Uh, Well, last week I did do that, but also last week markets initially reacted strongly to the threat of an energy crisis and rising inflationary fears due to a large spike in natural gas prices, the things most people use to heat their homes. We wanted to take this opportunity to discuss what's going on with the energy crisis globally and how it might impact the US economy. There's a lot happening in energy markets globally. We have our cyclical or near-term inflationary pressures from the current energy crunch, but we're also thinking about structural or longer-term ways that energy price crunches might start impacting the economy more regularly. So today, like Robert said, we're going to explain what the cause of the current energy crunch is and what it's doing to market right now. And then next week, we'll dive into the role that energy has in driving inflation and market outcomes in the longer term. So why don't you kick us off, Robert, and talk a little bit about what's happening cyclically? Well, as with most things these days... It has to start with the COVID-19 pandemic, and it has an impact. As the economic recovery has taken hold and production has increased, there's been soaring demand for energy that has outstripped new supply, increasing prices. The traditional expansion after a bust. In addition, the U.S. energy system is carefully calibrated and easily disrupted by weather events and mechanical problems, both of which we've seen this year. Yikes. Yeah, and there's more. We're seeing major issues stemming from both Europe and China that contributed to this crisis. A nice long list then. Well, why don't you start with what's going on in China? Sure. China's challenges have had more to do with cyclical or near-term demand factors, but with a twist. Demand has actually been increasing strongly for Chinese production. And if you think about it, that makes sense. Just All those goods we purchased while sitting at home, not purchasing a movie ticket or a delicious dessert at restaurants, all of that falls on goods being produced. And a lot of those goods come from China. Exactly. Especially high-tech goods and goods that demand a lot of raw material imports. So demand for power to produce all those goods is increasing. China has an extra layer of intrigue because it's the world's largest economy and the government regulates and sets electricity prices for the general population. So Chinese power generators haven't been able to pass the higher cost to their customers because of the government's price controls. And regulators have been slow to react to changing market conditions. It's interesting. So I think what we're getting a lot in the news media in the U.S. is just that there's restrictions, but there's also this element of global demand at play here. So we're seeing higher energy prices and also power shortages in China. Right. I think it does start with the demand story. Europe's situation highlights that. 
but you'll sense a theme here, which is that a combination of near-term demand and longer-term transitions are straining energy markets. Yeah, well, in Europe, the situation's a little different, which is that an energy supply shortage actually boils down to Europe and the European Union's climate policy. Mm. I see. I think we're now transitioning to the climate goals. Listeners to the program might be familiar with the Paris Agreement, where the EU set a goal of limiting global warming, greenhouse gas producing emissions to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And to meet this goal, the UK and EU both vowed to cut back its carbon emissions drastically and subsidize renewable energy, such as solar and wind, while closing hundreds of coal plants. Yeah, so if you think about all the different ways that any region, but since we're talking about Europe, we'll keep it to the EU, all the different ways that they could have power. They've been limiting some of these fossil fuels. For environmental reasons, the EU banned fracking. And also, some countries have pulled back on nuclear energy, too, since the Fukushima nuclear disaster in 2011. Germany is a case in point here. And so all of these different environmental policies have the effect of making the UK and EU reliable on renewable energy, which is still ramping up. We're still working on how to produce that more efficiently and effectively. And then also they rely on natural gas, which is mostly imported from Russia. And unfortunately, if you rewind a few months, we had an unusually long and cold winter earlier this year, which depleted stocks of natural gas in Europe. Add that wind that's usually storming in the North Sea stopped blowing a bit this year, which caused wind-powered electricity production to halt. You get the picture. There's all kinds of different things going on here. And if you also have stronger demand and you also have lower supply in China, then that exacerbates the issue. Right. So both pandemic supply, demand imbalances, and the broader energy transition supply demand imbalances are at work here. So you can see why this has been getting a lot of attention in the media. But if we if we put all these different news elements together, what's happening in China, what's happening in Europe, we have a global energy crisis. How bad is it? Mm. I think that's the big question here. Prices are pretty high all around, Lauren. In Europe, natural gas was trading last week at the equivalent of $230 per barrel in oil terms, and that's up more than 130% since the beginning of September and more than eight times higher since the same time last year. In East Asia, I'm looking at natural gas price now, it's up about 85% since the start of September. In the US, prices remain much lower as a net exporter of natural gas, but they're still up a lot. And you can still see where a potentially cold winter could weigh on consumers' pocketbooks. Yeah, that is really high prices, $230 per barrel in oil terms for Europe. That's certainly something to be concerned about. And again, like you mentioned, winter's coming and it's a season where energy demand tends to be higher as more heating and lighting because it's dark out for longer is necessary. Right. And so governments around the world are trying to limit the impact of soaring energy prices on consumers. They acknowledge that they might not be able to prevent household energy bills from spiking. Europe is already experiencing a slowdown in their economic recovery due to rising prices, this inflationary impact. Once again, yikes. And in the U.S., debate about alternative energy infrastructure and just plain old normal infrastructure is unfolding as we speak. So it's possible that all these pricing snafus globally could influence the debate around just how quickly the energy transition should take place. 
<laughs> we'll save the ominous geopolitical tone for next time. Now I think it's a perfect time for our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea to our listeners. And today, I think we should explore how current energy price concerns might impact the U.S. economy. Well, for right now, investors are concerned that the pandemic's impact on supply and demand is contributing to higher prices all around the economy, including in gas and coal and electricity. So markets have been reacting, as you said last week, not only to concern about energy prices, but also concerns that this is just another area where inflationary pressures are taking root. In other words, higher energy prices will impact the debate around whether post-pandemic surges in inflation will prove transitory or more permanent. Exactly. And break-even inflation rates, which are a proxy for market inflation expectations, have surged higher in recent weeks, especially in Europe. Mm. Energy crunches and spikes in natural gas or coal or other prices, they happen from time to time, and they're usually temporary. However, they could occur more frequently in the future than they have in the past, and no one knows for sure. But as countries change their energy mix to include more renewables and less fossil fuels, there might be some ebbs and flows in the supply-demand balance, and that could also mean ebbs and flows in prices. Remember what we said earlier about cyclical and structural factors. Again, those structural factors, that energy transition being one of them, are so important that we're going to explore them in a second episode later on. Right. And in that episode, we'll have to talk about how it will take major investment into infrastructure to make sure that we're able to get energy around the country and around the world where and when we need it. But for now, getting to the root of the investor concern, if we expect higher inflationary pressures in the near term, the question is whether that brings us closer to a stagflation scenario, high inflation with low growth. Or potentially one of the other scenarios we've talked about, a hawkish surprise, where high inflation causes the Federal Reserve to act quickly. I love that you brought in scenarios from our recent outlook. Very well done. Someone's got to do it. So Lauren, what do you think? You're the scenario expert. <laughs> well... We actually don't see a stagflation scenario or a hawkish surprise as being particularly likely. As you said, stagflation implies high inflation and slow growth, and we're expecting a rebound in activity in Q4 as the Delta variant impacts the economy wanes somewhat. And we're also not concerned about a hawkish surprise scenario, because though inflation is absolutely present, the Federal Reserve has been committed to keeping interest rates low until other areas of the economy have healed. Now, that doesn't mean they won't continue with their plan to taper asset purchases, but raising interest rates is a whole nother story that we think is still many months away. And we'll have to see when and if higher energy prices start to impact consumer spending, but only time will tell on that one. From a market perspective, faster growth and higher inflation and still low short-term interest rates still fit into our base case scenario. For our portfolios, this means maintaining overweight exposure to asset classes that benefit from strong growth and rising inflation, particularly rising prices of commodities. And that includes value equities, small cap stocks, and shorter duration securities that are less sensitive to potentially higher rates. Coming up next, this week we get an update on the Consumer Price Index, an indicator of inflation in the economy for the month of September. And 
Typically, we'd be talking about how the Fed tends to set aside some price increases, like those in energy, because they're so volatile. They look at broader ranges and broader indicators of inflation to make their decisions. Now, in this case, we're actually not as concerned about the Fed overall because we feel pretty confident that they'll start winding down their asset purchase program after the six months of higher inflation data we've already seen. But that doesn't mean that inflation data won't matter this week. Markets are looking for any clue that inflationary pressures are broadening or that they might be here to stay. Hmm. I'll personally be watching corporate profits. Q3 earnings season will begin in earnest next week when major banks start to report. And that means we expect companies to share guidance on what they expect the future to be. And that will be extremely important if prices are rising. We have to see if prices are rising faster than sales are rising. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. Yes, let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or a topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on our website, which is newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I am Robert Sarenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. The mainstay funds are managed by New York Life Investment Management, LLC, and distributed by NY Life Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. NY Life Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.